if you're not sure if you want to do something like try it 10 times and like really, you know, really give it a good try, but like write 10 newsletters, make 10 videos on YouTube, record 10 podcasts, just to see. I found that like going from 10 to 100 is definitely a slog and there are lots of mini milestones. But like once you do something 100 times, you're going to like build momentum on it and you're also going to like build your own confidence. In this episode, I talked to my longtime friend, Matt Ragland. So Matt joined ConvertKit really in the early days. He was employee number five and he was here for the crazy ride. And then he has since uh, started a YouTube channel. Uh, he led the customer experience team at another startup called Podia. Um, he's now as a full-time independent creator, earning a living on his own. And so we just have a really fun conversation, reminiscing about the early days, talking about like crazy rocket ship growth, how we kept up. We get into uh, earning a living as a creator, uh, how he grew his YouTube channel with 60,000 subscribers, uh, really how to choose a niche and when you should double down on, on that and like what's getting traction on YouTube. And then the last thing that we talk about is when as a creator, you should quit your full-time job and some of the nuances of that, you know, so you can go full-time on your creative endeavor. So it's a longer episode today because Matt and I just can't help but tell stories. Uh, with that, let's get out of the way and dive in. Matt, thanks for joining me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> so I want to go back to, wait, what year would it even be? Is it 20? 20... It's 2015. 2015. Okay. So right around this time also, maybe a couple months later, but it was like late summer. So it's July, like, yeah, end of July right now. Yeah, it would have been... Probably when we started talking. Yeah. I'm thinking, uh -huh. what were you doing online um, around that time? Because I started to come across you on Twitter. I think Ryan mm -hmm. Delk was a mutual friend. Is that right? Yeah, Ryan Delk was a mutual friend. Uh, Brian Harris was a mutual friend. Uh, that was that was the way that we got actually directly connected is that I was on Brian's email list and I saw that you were doing a webinar with him to promote ConvertKit. And I had just signed up for ConvertKit as a customer, always like a little notch in the cap that I I feel like I have of having like the three digit <laughs> yeah, user exactly. ID. You know what your user ID is. <laughs> yeah, I don't often. I used to know. So shame, but it being shame. in three digits is pretty. Yeah, a pretty three impressive. digit. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> now they're like well into the six digits. So <laughs> yeah, it's wild. And so I was I was familiar with ConvertKit. Certainly at that time, I was like, okay, let me watch like Nathan talk about it. What are the things that he thinks are important with it? Like some email building strategies, because what I was really doing a lot of my online work at that time is I was doing two things. Um, I was doing some contract work with some other SaaS companies, but in terms of an audience building creator standpoint, I was doing two things. One was that I was creating these sketch notes. And so like visual, visual art of like webinars, podcasts, and that's what I would use to like teach people how to take better notes so they could remember more of what they're doing. And it was a way to connect with other influencers because it was like, you know, an attention grabbing thing. It still really is online. Yeah. And so that was the main thing in terms of audience building and some like course creation. And the other thing that I was doing that paid paid the bills a little bit better at that time was I was also helping uh, people set up WordPress themes and websites. And so like yep. at the time I would be like, oh yeah, you know, I kind of do some web development. And then like 
not really knowing like what all that meant. And as I started to work more and more with actual developers, I'd be like, yes, well, I would just you know set up a theme online for people. But you also look at it and see that there's still like a pretty like interesting intersection between like, how can you just do something relatively simple for people that either A, they don't have time to do or B, they just don't want to figure out because they just want to focus on their creative work. And so that's what I was doing summer 2015 at the time. Yeah. So then like where ConvertKit was at at the time, we were, I think, four people, five people. Let me count. I think it was four, if I remember properly. Myself, Mark, David, Dan. Yeah. Four. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And we were at 15,000 a month in revenue. Let's see. Now I'm trying to think. So Pat Flynn had just signed up. In in the month of July, we got from ten thousand a month to fifteen thousand a month, fifty percent right. growth in a single mm-hmm. month, and that's really when like the 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 slow grind turned into like started to turn the corner into how are we ever going to keep up, which is <laughs> where you come into the story, right? But um, so basically in that in July it was you know uh, Pat Flynn and then Wellness Mama and another popular mm-hmm. blog all signed up at the same time, and so MRR jumped. You know, we had these bigger customers that we were migrating and, and switching over. But then as it got into August, September, they all started talking about it. And then right. and we went from 15000 a month to 22000 to, ooh, oh, maybe thirty five, then 50 then 80 then 100 Like, it just, yeah. um, in six months, it, it went completely wild. Yeah, I certainly, you know, obviously remember that. And so I was, I was brought in, like, to help with some support initially mm-hmm. just to help dan out with some support and you so you were certainly doing a ton of that at the time yep. and i also uh i think it was the first it ended up being for the first two years i was at convert kid i worked on migrations for the most part so those you know, right. bigger people that were coming in i was helping them get set up and the other thing that i did so i kind of had like three phases i would do like the migrations and then i would you know help out of support as much as I could. And then I would also do because not just like migrations at that point were, you know, for the for the larger customers, but we still had like so many people (laughs) signing up every single day. And so I was doing like a weekly or every other week at the most, like, here's how to get started workshop and just like doing that, like, really, like, here's how you set up your account, make sure you do this. Here's the form. How's how you get the form on your site. If you don't want to get the form on your site, you can actually still like you know, we had a few landing pages at the time, nothing like, you know, the the lovely the lovely template library that exists now. I think by a few, you literally mean four. I really, yeah, not just like <laughs> a few dozen, <laughs> like yeah. literally three or four. <laughs> so when you came on, right, because um, we brought you on part-time, I remember being totally overwhelmed. You and I were talking later um, about like starting part-time and then gradually increasing hours. I wonder if you would, share like what that was like for you because i think there was some confusion as to like why we were ramping up your hours gradually or other things like that yeah i think you know i think i understood it initially and is there was kind of like this uh well there was another uh SaaS company that i was contracting with at the time and i was just ex- more excited about convert kit and so mm-hmm. i don't know if it was confusion as much as like I just wanted to like go all in on what yeah. ConvertKit was doing. And so like maybe not confusion, but just like I was really chomping at the bit <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to yeah. just like totally focus on it. 
and not just like kind of step away and be like, okay, I guess, you know, kind of hit my hour limit. There's still things to do, obviously. But it became pretty clear after like, I think just three or four weeks that I was like, okay, yeah, it's, it's time. Yeah. And we were increasing your hours directly in proportion to right. the MR of the company. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. I remember that. We wanted more time from Matt, but like needed more MRR. And the nice thing was that MRR was coming in like week over week in a meaningful way, whereas the previous, you know, years it had been a slow journey. And I know you've talked about this, you know, certainly a lot since and ConvertKit's rolled out the free plan over the last 18 months. But, you know, it was a pretty controversial thing, like in terms of building a SaaS company and one that was bootstrapped that I, you know, I felt that it it was there was always a paid plan. Like there was a bit of a free mm-hmm. trial, but it was always paid. And so like, I think then it was actually just paid from day one. Yeah, I don't you're think right. Even a free trial. We didn't even do the free trial. And so like, you just knew that like, you know, certainly people would kind of churn out after 30 days if they didn't like it, blah, blah, blah. But we knew that there was money coming in more reliably because when people would sign up, we we're like, okay, you know, we can kind of project out even people that churn quickly, like we're still going to have like, this expected amount of LTV for the person and we could, you know, at least forecast a little yep. bit better that way. And so like, I thought that was like, in again, in retrospect, like really nice and probably really helpful, even if you're like, you know, and again, at the time we, you know, being bootstrapped, like we still are that there's a, like you almost, I don't know. I, and I wonder how you would think about this. Like there's almost like this feeling of like, how much can we handle given the people that we have? And right. like, where is that? I remember like feeling like we were writing that line for you know, not just months, but years. <laughs> right. No, I, I think certainly, yeah, at least a year and a half of um, just things moving so quickly. Mm-hmm. And like at the time, so you joined in, I don't, I don't even know like an exact date, um, but call it that like August. Mm-hmm. July, August timeframe, something like that. Yeah, September. I think it was like September, October around okay. that. I always we were talking about this pre-show, but I always remember that it was right around. This is my been. This is my like timestamp that whenever Pat released his, I'm switching to ConvertKit. So you can yes. go look at the timestamp <laughs> on that post. It was right around that time. So whatever that is, it was like that's when I started. Like yeah. Yeah, obviously things started taking off a lot faster. <laughs> yeah, that post uh, was amazing, and the and the title even was a like a masterclass in positioning and all of that because it was titled "Why I Switched from Aweber to Infusionsoft to ConvertKit," mm-hmm. which the reason like you're like okay, that's a long story and a title, um, but the reason it was so important is because everyone at the time. Like Aweber and MailChimp were the most common, but in like the blogger mm-hmm. space, people who'd been around for a while, Aweber was even like like just as common as as MailChimp. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. But then when you graduated from one of those tools, you went to Infusionsoft. Everybody mm-hmm. did it. Yep. And so if Pat had written the article of why I switched from Aweber to ConvertKit, people would be like, mm-hmm. Oh, but you never tried Infusionsoft. Like and so yeah. there, there's a third act to this. Clearly, you go, like yeah. <laughs> ConvertKit, you know, you've outgrown ConvertKit, and now you'll go to Infusionsoft or something. And so by having that in there, it was, you know, it just told the whole story, and people, like yeah. everyone, was like, "Wait, what? You already tried Infusionsoft? That's what all the big names use." Pat, you're a big name. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> when I remember him being on Meerkat, 
Periscope, one of the two, uh-huh. like in, yeah. in live streams, like late Back at night, because Pat likes to work yeah. at 10 or 11 at night and people right. be like, wait, what email service are you using? Because he'd like drop hints or, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And then there'd be like 50 or 100 people commenting like, what are you using? I'm, I'm thinking about switching to it or whatever. So it was a remarkable time. <laughs> it was, is, yeah. I'm, I mean, who knows what the future holds, but like that was definitely like the most like fast paced, interesting, like seat of the pants, you know, like thrill ride. <laughs> <laughs> that i've been on yeah when people talk about a rocket ship yeah it was that yeah absolutely so let's see maybe if we fast forward a little bit um actually maybe talking talking about that moment right because we went from when you joined we didn't even have um like an llc we didn't have payroll we didn't have anything because because ashley joined in november and the Uh first thing that she did was set up like (laughs) a company yeah you were paying me through paypal (laughs) (laughs) that's right (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so then she went through and set up like the company and taxes and payroll and health benefits yeah what were some other things from the early days like i don't know favorite memories or stories of of that craziness there was i've been racking my brain trying to remember it but there's something that now i you know i really wish that i had found it if i do but there's something that happened like around i want to say like january of like that year there was something with an account that we just all found like unnecessarily hilarious and it was like some kind of pun or play on words that i i again it's a terrible story because i can't this is a terrible story right now because i can't remember it (laughs) but there's something in my heart and in my subconscious that i just hold so dearly but not like closely enough apparently uh there's there are just so many moments like that and you know having that first well, I kind of cheated a little bit because a bunch of us went to WDS in summer 2016. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time we all got to hang out together. And that was like really awesome and special. And then like two or three months after that is when we had our first retreat. And that's right. Those retreats, you know, still like um, I saw, you know, Haley Janicek uh, yesterday here in Nashville. And we were talking about like the Oceanside retreats and just being able. And I always like, thought that convert kit was like at the forefront of a lot of things but like really making the retreats meaningful and special and uh also doing them twice a year which i thought was you know still think is you know really cool obviously we're in an, an odd time for that right now but yeah <laughs> to be able to like see the people and like work with them in person like those are all like some of my some of my best memories from working at the company, like even outside Mm -hmm. of like the actual rocket ship of like growth that we all went on. Like just having those, having, I still, um, like one of the coolest things like for me is to like having connections and strong relationships with people at the company, even now that I haven't like worked there and gosh, I guess a little over two years now, like to be on your podcast to like, have Haley text me and say like, Hey, I'm in Nashville. Let's meet up like those. Like it's, it sounds like kind of trite to say, but it's like, it's the people, it's the zoom calls, it's the standups that were fun. And the other thing that like, I'll kind of end it on (laughs) is something that I've always kind of taken away that I think is so fun is I remember like our Monday standups, our Monday meetings, and just how out of control the zoom chat would get. 
Like it would completely derail meetings. I'm, you know, probably still does, you know, we set a high, a high standard. (laughs) But like, I've now been like, I've, you know, I've been at Podia, been at like, I've been on like other like company Zoom calls and or just like, you know, groups that I'm a part of. And I'll like try and get the chat started. And people like, what are you doing? Like you're ruining the meeting. Right. I'm like, oh yeah, the people have no idea. Yeah, yeah, I guess I am ruining the meeting. <laughs> if you all aren't going to play along <laughs> and like, you know, talk trash inside of the chat, I guess I'm ruining the meeting. But those, <laughs> I still like obviously think about it and just can't help but like laugh about it. There was a meeting. Um, I'm trying to think who it was. We had so Derek on the marketing team. This is, I don't know, must have been three years ago or more ago had brought in some like growth expert. It might have even been like Sean Ellis or someone who yes. like really knows. Yes. He's just like I pinnacle rem- of, I like, growth this. marketing. Yes. And he's like talking to the group. And I'm there and it's just like it's it's our crew, you know? And so I'm dropping like jokes and random things in the Zoom chat. And of course he didn't see it in real time, you know, because he's like presenting. Mm-hmm. And He's like just so confused because normal companies don't do that. So it's like <laughs> the most converted thing yeah. that I think no one on the outside would know is yeah. that we troll our Zoom chats constantly. Yeah. And oh it's so gosh. fun. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely Sean because we had just signed up for the Growth Hacker software and we're using it That's to right. run our growth tests. And when you sign up for an annual plan, we had done like some little extra special thing. And we're like, you can have an hour with Sean. We're like, yes. We're like, if you want, we're like, yes, we'll put it, you know, put it on our tab. We'll grab an hour with Sean. And I do remember that. He was like, oh, it looks like there's a question. Oh, there's not a question in the chat. What is going on? Do you, do you want to say something? We're all like, nope, sorry. No, never we, mind. Sorry. Never mind. We won't do it anymore. Yeah. And we just, you know, of course, couldn't help ourselves. And he was like, oh, oh you're doing that in the chat again. I'm like, okay. I'm like, yep. Yeah, we'll that's, just, that's just how we are. Um, there was another time that I'm curious for your take on. So because we like we fast forward a little bit. We were, you know, trying to keep up with the crazy growth. Um, so we, like if go to January and we're like 100K MRR. Um, and this at this point, we've expanded the team quite a bit. Right. Nicole, Ashley. Yeah. Daryl, Blake, Danny, Danny, and, and others were were a bit later, oh, get, but yeah, like, those were but later. like Brad, Noel, um, uh-huh. yeah, you know, so more on the engineering side, just across the mm-hmm. board. So the team's gone from like, you know, four to eleven, like yeah. really quickly. Mm-hmm. And just as we're trying to keep up, like keep the servers on, keep the support right. tickets going, mm-hmm. and all that. But we made this move to try to get profitable. Um, yep. from, mm-hmm. I think it was probably February until like that February till July, I think. And we went from 3% profit margins to 50% profit margins all through growth. Like we didn't cut expenses. Um, mm-hmm. it helps to be growing right. 15 to 25% a month, <laughs> you know? Right. But I'm curious what that was like from your side of what, you know, like when I came in and said like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do this and we're going to try to pull it off. Is it like, Oh, this is going to be a death march or is this like, Oh, we're all in it together. Like. We'll see how it goes. I think that at that point, and I felt like me especially, but at that point, like we were all like that kind of classic startup line of like we were all like young and dumb enough to think that we could pull it off. And because like I had had a front row seat of going from like 500 to 3000 users in a few months Mm -hmm. and like all that um, 
all of that growth, because especially like initially for me and part of this actually sparked a bigger interest in like understanding more of the financials behind like startups. And because like when you first said that, I was like, OK, well, I don't really know how we're going to how that all works, but that's not my job. You know, that's Ashley's job and I trust her and you know, Nathan yeah. will figure it out, too. So but because I tended for a long time to think of our growth. It's funny, you, you know, you obviously keep mentioning the revenue growth. Like I would just think of it as like month over month user growth as well. Like, right. like I just saw them like in the chat <laughs> forever. And so I remember like just that all of us had either, op you know, like you said, we went, you went from four to 11 or 12 really quickly. And so all of us were like so fresh and fired up that we're like, great. I mean, look what just happened in the last three months. Of course, you know, we can do this in the next in the next six. So I I remember being like fired up about it because like it was that kind of classic. I didn't know any better at the time. Right. Yeah. If we were all we were also I was looking back at like salaries from those days and like the 40, 50, 60,000 dollar a year salaries that like we could not yeah. like no one would take that today um but then it was just yeah. like we're all doing this thing and you know it's pretty amazing to see someone who like started at converting on a forty thousand dollar a year salary like five five years ago is now making like 120 plus a bunch of profit sharing or other yeah. things it's like okay there yeah, we go like amazing. yeah the bet that they made did actually pay off yeah <laughs> yeah for a absolutely. while it, it, it was uh yeah absolutely it was tough going for a while. Yeah. And it's been a really, you know, cool thing. Like even and this comes like from the transparency. Like I've consulted with some other like companies over the last six months and I've used ConvertKit as a reference point so many times because of the transparency. I was like, well, I mean, you can go look at what, you know, <laughs> they're like, well, what do you think the like numbers are for something? Like this is like, I don't have to wonder. You just go look at what, you know, ConvertKit's numbers. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you that it's this, this, this. Like, they're like, how do you know that? I was like, just go to convertkit.fairmetrics.com. It's all, it's all right there. You can you know, it's, it's that. numbers. It's all right. And so like, I, you know, remember thinking that like, Again, like this is where like my dormant like love of again statistics and financials and <laughs> all that kind of came came back to life for for me and it was just a it was just amazing to see like that first and it wasn't it was more than just the first year also like it just kind of kept going and again it's just a really it's a really unique experience that yeah I'll obviously never forget <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned retreats earlier, um, and I have a favorite moment at a retreat. I think it was it probably would have been our third retreat because we were up in up in McCall outside of Boise, and it was you starting like making a first YouTube video with Charlie. Or did you do that? That was an Oceanside, actually. That, that was, was an Oceanside. Oceanside. What was it that you were doing in McCall when? Were you and Charlie just talking about YouTube? About yeah, we were doing a collab at that point, as the YouTubers say. Yeah, just talking about like productivity and planning, like how how she plans her day, how I you know plan mine. Because she was, you know, Charlie. Just as a quick aside, like just an amazing like person, creator, friend. Like she helped me so much, like get my YouTube channel started. Like I mean, again, she's wonderful. But to like sit down the day that we're supposed to, this is in Oceanside. We're supposed to like leave in two hours. <laughs> Everybody's like trying to pack. I don't know how ready she was to leave. Maybe she was all ready, but 
she was like, hey, you know, Matt, let's do a video for your YouTube channel. I was like, the one that I haven't started yet. And she's like, yes, we're doing a video. And it was just, you know, it was six, seven minutes. And for her to sit down, I think she was around like 70K subscribers at that time to like kind of I was like I'd known Charlie for a while at that time and we were pretty close, but I was like still nervous. <laughs> and then like Mark's walking through the back of the frame, like picking stuff up, gathering like, you know, paraphernalia. It's I don't know if that's the right word to use. Just yeah, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a terrible word. Terrible word choice. <laughs> things trash we're good people we're picking up yeah. after ourselves and so it's just like this really funny moment and i you know not to talk too much about youtube because i know we're going to get into it but like that video still only has like maybe 500 views because people think that when your youtube channel gets big like all of your videos take off and the majority of my first 50 videos are still like well under a thousand views hmm. and it's it is this like it's like compounding interest. It's like, you know, compounding like, you know, user growth that it just kind of builds on top of itself. It creates this like self like when people come to your channel, even if it hasn't taken off yet and people see like, OK, this person is serious. He has 30 videos. It's not like he threw a couple up there like people know that you're in it. And so I can tell you what I thought you were going to say. I think it was the second McCall retreat. And so we go up to this lodge. And it's right by a you know, beautiful lake in even in August, quite chilly. And so we were swimming around and uh, our coworker, Nicole, <laughs> has these like prescription sunglasses, fancy, expensive, nice, just like Nicole. <laughs> and they fell off in the lake, not super deep, but like we swam around trying to find these things for like 20 minutes. At the end of the day, we're like, OK, we got to go back. It's dinner time. It's getting dark. And so the next morning, I'll say like, I like cold water, um, which is a whole nother like conversation, but I like cold water. I also like particularly cold mountain water in the morning, like so brisk, so nice. And so I was yep. like, okay, well, I might do this anyway. I'm going to find those damn glasses. And so we were over there, I swim around because my other theory was like, okay, we kicked up a lot of you know, like gunk at the bottom. It's going to settle. No one's out there yet. I'm going to find them. And I did. Well, the other thing is you had goggles this time. I did have goggles this time because that was the other thing. I remember I was like first thing in the That's morning right. or yeah or maybe it was at night I can't remember but like, it was in the morning definitely there's like all of this uh stuff on the table randomly can you come in you're like and see a pair of goggles things I'm like, goggles. did we have these the whole time and someone's like no no, no I we got had store. Like, goggles <laughs> yeah. the whole time <laughs> Yeah, but then you like you find those and then I don't know, like minutes later, you're in the lake. <laughs> yeah. And so pull pull those out is a great is a great moment like to to, to return those. <laughs> when Nicole wakes up like hours later, you know, because yes. you're yeah. up early swimming like and then you, yeah. you know, she has her like hundreds of dollars prescription sunglasses. Back. Yeah, that was actually the very first retreat. That was that was the first retreat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That Good that times. whole group, like getting, I mean, we were 20 people at the time, getting that mm -hmm. group together. Yeah, for the first time was, those are just special moments in a, in a company. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so would it be the next retreat then that was Oceanside when you did the YouTube video with Charlie? Or was it a full year? Yes, yeah, that would have been the next, that would have been the Oceanside retreat. That would have been probably the first Oceanside retreat because yeah. it was February 2017 that I started my YouTube channel. 
And to give you a little background, like I had done blogging for a little while. I had like tried some service work, like I already mentioned. I had done 30 interviews on a podcast back in like 2014 mm-hmm. when we first moved to Nashville. And that was actually one of the ways that I met Ryan Delk because Ryan Delk was on the podcast. Um, oh, yeah. Crazy looking back, the the two, the other person that I got on the show, I don't even know how, uh, even then was James Clear, uh, mutual friend James Clear was on the show. And now he's like, James Clear <laughs> in 2014. No big deal. He's you like, he's still talking about him, Passive right? Panda. That's right. Yeah. Matt Ragland interview that now even Matt can't find anywhere. And so you're welcome, James, if you're listening to this. Yep. And so I had done a bunch of different things online. And I would say that while I did build my creative chops and confidence through all those things, I hadn't really stuck with one thing long enough to see that, like, again, that compounding growth that comes from just being consistent and showing up. Uh, and again, mutual friend Sean McCabe talks about showing up every day for two years. And um, so what I did is I decided in February I was going to post a video every day. I was going to do 28 videos in in February. So a little good little call. Right there. I, I like that month long yeah. challenges February every year. Right. I'm doing right. it. <laughs> 10% easier. <laughs> That's right. And so I I did that and I just I got more used to it. And I didn't take off. Like I've talked with, you know, Daryl, we've mentioned Daryl a couple times. Like Daryl and I've talked about this. But like the channel did not take off and I ended up making after, you know, daily is is quite the grind. Um I just you know, I couldn't keep that up, but I was doing still weekly videos through the rest of the year. And then Um, it was the other thing that is just wonderful about creating a body of work is that then you have a, you know, a much clearer data set to look at, to understand, like, these are the topics. These are the type of videos that took off more for me. You know, if you just make a handful of videos and you see one is a little bit better than another, that's not a good enough sample size. But at the end of the year in December, I'm looking back and I've created like 50, 60 videos at this point. And I pinpoint like what is the most popular, like as I'm going into new year, what, how can I kind of maybe narrow down my niche a little bit more and be more focused? And I saw that my most popular video of the year is one that I had released in August where I talked about how I planned my week with the bullet journal. And I'd been using the bullet journal, you know, method for a couple of years at this point. And so I was like, well, you know, new year's coming up. I'm going to like create this video. Here's how I'm planning my year in a bullet journal. And at the time, like I felt good about it, actually, like uh, Levi Allen, who's a great, you know, YouTuber and creator, um, craft and commerce speaker, Casey Neistat friend. uh, (laughs) He helped me with the thumbnail. I like sent him a bunch of and so we really dialed in the thumbnail. And that video is like, I think I was at like 600 ish subscribers at the time. And I hadn't had a single video go over a 1000 views. I was like, I hope this video is the one that goes over a thousand views. And it would also be cool if eventually it helped me get to a thousand subscribers. Because you got to remember, I'd been doing this 11 months and had 600 subscribers. So I'm like, you know, maybe in like another six months I can get there. And I released the video and it started to take off, um, like especially for me. But then I was really like, oh, this is like taking off for like any kind of YouTube video. It has a thousand views in the first day and then 
or definitely within the first two days. And then I had a thousand subscribers by the end of the first week. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay, interesting. But again, I was able to see that like big picture data to like pinpoint that particular type of video to and again, it was a good time time of the year, literally to be talking about productivity and planning. I've seen that like over and over again in the years since as I've narrowed down on this niche. Um, and then the way that I create and I tell creators this all the time now is that when you see something that hits, like find the like, especially if it's a, like a bigger video like I had, this was like 20 minutes. <laughs> it mm -hmm. kind of like didn't fit the normal like YouTube things. But I talked about a lot of different elements of productivity in that video. And so my next four videos were basically like taking these different like components that I had crammed into a big overview video and said, like, here's how I block my time. Here's how I manage my tasks. Here's how I like plan out my week. So we take like something that's big on the macro side of saying, like, here's how I plan a year. Here's how I plan a quarter. Here's the months that go into that. And then like the weeks that go into the months. So I spent like my next six videos just basically breaking down the individual aspects of that first video. And then it was just like off to the races at that point. Yeah, that's fascinating to me. What have you found about length of videos? Because I would be like, oh, it needs to be a shorter video. And like right. the, the truth of the matter is, yeah, we'll just just get into it on on length. For me, I have found that my with one exception my longer videos traditionally have performed better because there is this interesting like there is this interesting like dichotomy of like statistics on YouTube is that they want a high retention time. But <laughs> if you can kind of like overrule that with a long view time, <laughs> then it like still works the same way. So like a video that I create that's 20 minutes, if someone like you want to be over 50% video you know, like time retention. But if you're talking about it's a 20 minute video and someone watches for nine minutes, well, like I've seen and YouTube's been changing a lot, I think. But I've seen that if you keep someone on YouTube for nine minutes, they'd almost kind of rather you have a lower like overall retention if you can keep them on there longer than normal. So like, for example, you know, the difference would be like if I have a five minute video with 60% of it, you know, 60% view retention, but then that's only like three minutes watched versus 40% view retention, but it's eight or nine minutes watched. Oh, like, interesting. Those, those have tended to perform better for me. However, um, I have been working on lately, like more this year, trying to be more concise with my video and with my takeaway and my talking points. And so I've been trying to be like under 10 minutes for most videos at this point. That's where I've kind of found a sweet spot and even experimenting with some sub five minute videos that is just like literally like here is one tip. I'm not stacking like additional concepts on top of each other. It's kind of the like equivalent of like just doing like that 500 words a day, like maybe a thousand words a day. You're just trying to get that like you're trying to get that five minute like blitz out without like trying to expend like, a bunch of time, like trying to like get the perfect 12 minute video or 3000 word blog post. Yeah, that makes sense. So in that journey from breaking the thousand subscribers to now you're about to break 60,000 subscribers. 
Um, what are some of the things like if you were, if I was like, you know, Matt, I'm going to start a YouTube channel today, or, or I have one that has like, you know, maybe I've shown that I, that I can like show up consistently and I've right. demonstrated that, that ability. Um, but what are the things like the, the tips and lessons that you've learned along the way? The biggest ones are to just continue being consistent. I think I could have like actually been have grown even faster than I did if I had been even a little bit more consistent. Like I think two videos a week is really great, even though, you know, full disclosure and you can go look at my YouTube channel. I have struggled to do like two videos a week consistently, mm -hmm. but that is also because like I have a bunch of other creative interests that all fuel each other and we'll talk about those. But if you're just talking about like growth on YouTube, then it really is the consistency that will help you, you know, win the day and grow your channel. The other thing is that as much as we want to, as creators, let the work stand for itself and like be a great overall piece of content on, you know, on YouTube, the title and the thumbnail are equivalent like to your like for those of us that like kind of grew up blogging a little bit more like the headline or like with the email newsletter and the subject line, like that is the YouTube equivalent. And it is so, so, so important. And so, you know, YouTube gets kind of a bad rap sometimes for like the clickbaitiness. And that's definitely a thing. But it's just, again, people have said that about subject lines and blog you know, headlines for years. But that is really, really important. And if you don't grab someone's interest in like these three phases of the title, the thumbnail, and then like literally what is your opening line? Because YouTube will show that. Those are the biggest things. And I think that like the amount of time that you should spend on that kind of changes based on what phase of YouTube and just content creation in general that you're in. Because if you're talking about like, okay, I want to go from five to 10 or 10 to 20, I would still probably argue that you should like focus on and depending on you know what your time is like, you should focus more on the consistent output than like really worrying about trying to over optimize every little piece. And there are good ways about that, and there are like tough ways about this. But I would basically say like, I would rather you, I would rather see you put out four video, like a weekly video, than just one monthly video that you feel like, oh, this is this is the one this is this is it i spent so much time on editing and the sound is perfect and all the transitions are smooth and all you know the the thumbnail just looks so good and i got the title dialed in because you can believe all that but like the market ultimately decides like the viewer ultimately decides right. how much they really care about that as well and the other thing that is kind of tough like i think mentally for creators is and i've i've done this a ton of times is when you feel like Oh, I, I made this as perfect as I can. I feel so good about this. And then it just bombs and you're like, what the hell? <laughs> now right. I feel less confident. I'm less excited about the next one. Cause if I put so much effort into this video and it didn't work or this newsletter, or this course, and it didn't work out, what, like, what does that mean? And you get into all these like ex existential creator questions bouncing around in your head. Ah, uh, yes. There's a lot of that. Yeah. So it sounds like you're saying optimize for like number of shots on goal yep. rather than like the highest probability shot yep. and optimize it. Like, yeah, quantity yeah. over quantity and continue optimization mm -hmm. over like right. the pinnacle of the perfect video that right. you're putting all of your 
don't know yeah. what other analogies I'm going to throw in eggs in that basket. I That's right. We could yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's a good one. And I would really continue to like play it through. I'm just getting into a point personally where I want to spend more time editing, like doing all those more optimization things. But it's not even so much from an audience growth perspective is I just want to get better. Like I mm-hmm. see other YouTubers, other creators that I like, I admire their work so much. And I really am wondering how close can I get to that? But I'm making a choice. I'm making a personal choice to focus more on like the quality and the craft. And I do have like, I've built myself to a good benchmark to work on that. But like for so long, literally for four years is like, I'm going to record my planner. I'm going to record, you know, like Notion. I'm going to like, I'm basically going to do some type of screencast, whether it's analog or digital, and then I'm going to do a talking head like, you know, in and out of everything. And that's all I'm going to do. And that was really good for me because it was allowing me to be consistent. I didn't over edit anything. I took a lot of inspiration from how um, like Tim Ferriss would describe his early days with the podcast. And even still, like he does it pretty raw. He doesn't over edit. And like I was like, yeah, okay, you know. Tim is Tim, but yeah, if he's willing to do that, I can certainly be willing to like let go of some of the, you know, the editing, like finer details that especially early on, like don't matter as much as like just actually making the thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So maybe let's go back to your arc of, of the story, right? So when you passed a thousand subscribers, that was 11 months into the channel. Is that, that's right? Mm-hmm. Correct. And so that would have been... A year and a half into working at ConvertKit? Yeah, about that, actually. Yeah. 2015, 2016, 2017, they all just yeah, run Yeah, it's just a blur. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and so then, like, where did the channel go from there? You really doubled down on bullet journal. Bullet journaling, productivity, and that's really, like, pretty much all I did. I, I tried to do a, like, more vloggy vlog kind of video after one of the after one of the retreats but i actually ended up it was from it was from that oceanside it was from the 2018 oceanside a year later yeah it's so confusing if we could go to different locations every time that would be easier but we keep coming back like we call oceanside you know (laughs) which is amazing but also really difficult for our like mental models that's right and so i did like a hey you know i travel i did like a travel vlog thing and at the time I was doing videos, like my videos would were pretty commonly like hitting about 5K, you know, on average, if not more. And so I was like, cool, let's see how this. And then that travel one just like didn't get picked up by the algorithm. People who had joined my channel were like, I joined for productivity and bullet journaling, not like to see you go to the beach. And that was kind of like, a OK, well, you know, and it's an interesting thing as a creator to think about like, well, I like to make this. And people were like, so. <laughs> How does it help me? And, you know, there's an element of that that I I still like very much feel like a creative tension around. But at that time, I was like, okay, well, I don't need to worry about my creative output on this particular thing at a time, because the other the other thing that um, I'm only now like getting a little bit more used to controlling my time as like being a full time creator, because at the time I was like, okay, well, if I only am committing like five to ten hours a week to this as a side hustle and as like a thing I'm doing obviously on the side. Am I going to use those five to 10 hours to create a video that 
not many people are going to watch or what I know at this point people are interested in. And it just became a matter of like prioritization as well. Right. Yeah. So how did that feel? Like, was, were you disappointed when the, the vlog, you know, this is my life kind of content didn't resonate with your audience? Yeah, a little bit because there was this element and I actually like in, I was talking to a client about this yesterday because he was asking me some of these same questions and I wish that I had protected one video a month or even at the least like one video every couple of months to just be like, this is me like just doing something that I'm interested in. Like, this is a story that I want to tell. This is like a part of me that I want to show to kind of prime the audience to like just get to know me in that slightly like different way and just being okay with those videos not doing as well because I think I would have like worked in more of like a lot of my personality comes through even in just like the regular videos but just more of my life more of my interests more of the things that I was thinking about because as I've now started to pivot like in lean into that a little more then I'm going through that again of like Oh, this isn't what really what I thought. I was like, and now I'm just more more confident or just more secure most of the time and being like, yeah, well, I think I've said pretty much everything that I can say about how to make lists in your bullet journal. I have like literally a hundred videos. <laughs> I right. don't know what else I can say. And I'll still say some things, but it's definitely flipping more for me of like instead of doing like an occasional non-bullet journal video like every month or two it's going to like switch back. It's going to flip the other way. And bullet journal will be like one, one, maybe two videos every one to two months. Are you worried about, or like, have you seen trends of what that's going to do to view count? And, and oh, I'm terrified. Terrified. Okay. <laughs> and well, part of the other like tipping point, and this is like bringing it's like more where I am on the arc right now. And I've talked to some other YouTubers about this, you know, results, results may vary, of course, but after January ended and the productivity, you know, the productivity season of December, January was over. Um, I still stayed on like productivity bullet journal videos, but they just started to fall off a cliff in terms of mm. in terms of views. And the like subscribers were down. Also, like I had a 30 day stretch. I had not a 30 day stretch, a 90 day stretch. So an entire quarter that w used to be like that entire quarter used to be like basically an okay month in terms of like month over month, like new subscriber growth, new views. I still have, again, like a whole like library of content, especially the bigger videos that generate like plenty of views every month. But in terms of new videos, new views, uh, like new subscriber growth was just like steadily going down. And I'm looking at it and thinking like, I just started doing this full time. This is not what I signed up for. I'm doing the thing, which is like this whole other like, weird like transition of a mindset between like when you're more of an employee i was talking to jeff goins about this but when you're more when you are an employee even at a startup and i know i can like say this in retrospect now you're still just kind of looking to either your manager or your founder be like what would you like me to do that you believe will bring the most growth and like good startup operators you know and i feel like i started to do this more towards the end who be more proactive and be like, this is the thing, you know, that's what a manager and director does. But there's still like this element of like, yeah, I'm the employee. And like, this is what I need to do. And if I continue to do my job in the way that it is expected, I will get my money. 
<laughs> I will get my career advancement. I will do my thing. I will check the boxes. And being an entrepreneur and especially being a full-time creator, none of that, none of that matters <laughs> anymore because there have been multiple instances, even in these first six months. And I'm like, what in the world? I like, I haven't really seen these videos. I'm doing it once a week. Like, check, 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 check. This didn't work. I created this course. It went good. So I can make it great. I spent a lot of time on it. Didn't do the launch that I wanted to. And you're like, I'm doing the things. I'm checking the boxes. Right. Why does this work? What the heck? <laughs> what am I supposed to do now? And it's this whole like new mindset that I'm kind of coming into of like when you are an entrepreneur, you create opportunity and you like you have to like have this like to bring a Ted Lasso reference in like the the mind of a goldfish of like, oh, that didn't work. And I think about this in like I've started doing jujitsu in the last year as well. It's like, OK, well, that didn't move, didn't work. Oh, no, I'm on my back now. <laughs> All these things. This is going terribly. But like you have to like forget these failures really quickly and just learn as much as you can mm -hmm. so that and like have a really thick skin or just like a really forgetful mind to like, OK, well, even though I felt like I did all the right things, this didn't work because uh, to put a put a bow on like this particular like loop last week. I don't know if you saw this, like I put a tweet up that said, hey, if you haven't set up a course before, you have an idea, I can help you do this. It's a thousand dollars. But if you don't make a thousand dollars, I'll just give you your money back and you'll have your course. And I just like I literally thought of that in the shower and then I tweeted it. And now I've signed up like seven clients in a week. I'm like, OK, <laughs> if that's going to be the thing, because it's like this other thing, I worked really hard on this course and, you know, I spent like a month on it and I did like four grand. And I'm like, mm -hmm. but I, you know, got out of the shower and sent a tweet and made like eight grand <laughs> and it'll probably be 10 grand by the end of next week, by the end of the month. And so I'm like, OK, well, that's, you know, just kind of how being an entrepreneur and being a creator is. And you know, then the next stage of it is. You know, what we were talking about like early on, just looking at Berkeley, like, okay, you've had this initial growth. How do you systematize it? How do you like scale it? And how do you get it to like be a thing that you can really rely on instead of just like hoping that you send like a good tweet or the right email or make the right connection? Like it's creating that opportunity for yourself and then harnessing it. Yeah, for sure. What you touched on is interesting to me is the being responsible for inputs versus outputs. Mm -hmm. At a lot of jobs, um, you're responsible for the inputs like you're talking about you check the boxes show up in this way. Right. And we like to think that the inputs always result in the outputs. Um, and often that's not true. And so as a creator, you're responsible for both sides of it. And you, right. you know, you can't be like, Oh, the, I didn't get the outputs that I wanted. You know what? That's okay. <laughs> Cause you're like, Hey, one of the outputs is money for rent, you know? And, and so there's a lot more, um, a lot more pressure there. Yeah. And it's interesting is that even in some of these like rough months, and so I haven't told this story like publicly because it's still so fresh, but you know, like when I have like my uh, Stripe, you know, Stripe payouts come weekly, it's yep. a nice little, nice little thing. I'm like, okay, we're doing pretty good. And so like, I was just about to go on this week long backpacking trip. Um, I do like a mentoring backpacking trip um, with some high school kids. And I was already like feeling stressed about it. I was like, I haven't had a good month. What the heck? You know, I shouldn't be doing this. I can't just go in the woods for eight days and like not work on the business. It's not at that point. I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm still gonna do it. I'm not gonna leave these, you know, people high and dry. But as I'm like going to the woods, I like miss, you know, 
uh, <laughs> stupidly open my email and the Stripe payout thing comes through. It's like, your payout of $30 is on its way. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> but because you are, you have that feeling of like, yeah, it's like, you know, the only thing that's coming in is what you create and what you build and what you what you promote. And it's like this idea like that I've been talking about a lot and I've heard a lot of people, you know, like reference as well. It's like, you know, being this full stack creator. Like it's not just that you make the thing, but you market the thing, you build a team around the thing. And I have seen like more and more creators like building more teams around like things that like they either don't like doing or not as good at. So that's a whole and that's but that's a whole other piece of like building out your like personal stack of skills and responsibilities. Yeah, I was talking with a friend the other day and just explaining like all the business things and realizing, oh, running a business, being a creator is a uniquely assembled collection of a ton of individual mm-hmm. skills. Yeah. Because we were like gotten further in this conversation and I realized like, oh, you don't have the and you know, no knock on this, it's just a skill to that you need to learn, but the like spreadsheets forecasting skill. Mm-hmm. Like the I wonder how this is going to work. And so I open up Google Sheets and I like model it out and it's probably right. ridiculously naive, but it's better than holding it in my head. And then like you write yep. down your assumptions and then you compare, you know, reality to those assumptions. And and that's just one of like a thousand skills that you have to learn. And then like years after you've learned it, you're like forgetting that that's actually a distinct skill that had to be right. You're like, yeah, I mean, everybody knows how to do mm-hmm. that, you know, and, and do that a thousand times over. And like, that's the creator experience. Yeah. And it goes to this, like, um, people get really overwhelmed by that. And something that I've been kind of hammering the last like several months, especially and for creators is this, like, I think of it like the new 10 X rule of like output and effort of like, if you're not sure if you want to do something like try it 10 times, and like really, you know, really give it a good try, but like write 10 newsletters, um, you know, get 10 subscribers, make 10 videos on YouTube, record 10 podcasts just to see like you don't have to make this light. We tend to think of things as like making this lifetime commitment <laughs> to a show, to a pod or whatever, but like do 10 and see how you feel about it like that. Even though I said I was going to do and did like 28 videos, it was kind of like just a slightly more expanded version of like. How do I feel after 28 YouTube videos? Oh, I enjoy it and I'm getting used to it. I'm going to keep doing it. But I had like that really specific like benchmark of this is the this is the number that I'm going to get to and then I'm going to see. And I found that like going from 10 to 100 is definitely a slog and there are lots of mini milestones. But once you do and this kind of goes even outside of creative output, but like once you do something 100 times, you're going to like build momentum on it and you're also going to like build your own confidence and it's not unironic and I've seen this or across a few different creators I think uh maybe Ali Abdal has like a similar experience but for me when I made my hundredth it was right around my hundredth video on YouTube that I hit 10,000 subscribers and it's right around like the hundredth like email newsletter when I started to like see that I just felt really comfortable writing those emails like you know the growth the growth was good but just like my personal confidence in it was like so high that it was like yeah you know it's time to write the newsletter I'm gonna write the newsletter it's not like this weeping and gnashing of teeth uh (laughs) about like will this work or not and then you said like you do it a thousand times because we look at some of our most prolific creators like MKBHD um you know Casey Neistat Roberto Blake like from the YouTube space all of those guys, um, like Amy Landino, all of those people have like over a thousand videos published on YouTube. And it's like, oh, yeah. I mean, like, yes, they have 
great audiences and huge numbers, but like, just look at the output, like they're masters because they have published <laughs> a thousand videos. And when you think of it in that way, it's like, there are so many different things that you can do in terms of mastering and optimization. And like, there are like, you know, I guess you could say there are growth hacks that you could use, but like, look at anyone that you admire and just look at the sheer volume of their work. Yeah, it's it's substantial. Um, I want to talk about how that volume of work turns into uh, an income. And so could you break down, uh, I guess, yeah, how you earn an income now, where it comes from? I think people would expect that, like, a lot of it comes from YouTube ads. Um, yeah, what are the different, like, in your creative stack, what are the things that drive revenue? Yeah, the two biggest things that drive revenue for me that again, for especially coming from a YouTube space for a main audience, the two biggest things that still drive revenue for me are courses, and then consulting or coaching that comes alongside or with those courses. And so I don't even do like a huge like, you know, tiered course, like program in terms of like, it's $400 for the course, or you can do like $800 to have like some coaching with me. A lot of the coaching comes naturally from people who have gone through the course. And then usually I'll do like a an email once the course is over. Say like, hey, if you want me and I'll drop hints like throughout some of the <laughs> throughout some of the content. But it's like, hey, if you want to work on this directly with me, here are some of my like rates and different ways that we can work together. But I would say probably 60, 70 percent at least comes through courses and coaching. And that that can shift um, because I, you know, I do uh, admittedly not have the best evergreen uh, course sales like funnel that I could have. It's been a big like focus for me because and just to take a quick aside, one of the reasons I decided to do full time creators because there were so many things that I wanted to optimize and that I wanted to do that I was never going to be able to get around to on like 10 ish hours a week never going yeah. to be able to do it and stay like even remotely consistent with actually it would have been like, hey, I'm not going to make any videos or send any emails for three months so that I can create this system. And then it's like, I'm back. And so but so from the revenue perspective, the like the percentages between like courses versus coaching kind of shift, but it's I would say like pretty even between those between those two. Um, and then there are all these like smaller things like there are there are affiliates. I would say YouTube revenue on average is a little higher than affiliate revenue. Um, but I also like, like what? Yeah. How much are would you be earning? So someone like I have 60,000 subscribers. What should I expect to be making a month off of um, YouTube revenue? Yeah. So I can say that the most I have ever made in one month of YouTube is 800 around 850 dollars that's my best okay. month ever and uh like i mentioned declining views over the last few months i <laughs> will bring it it's like 250 this month which is like eh, yeah great you're like covering software expenses at that point right. which you know i do think is like a nice benchmark for people to kind of shoot for is like can can i cover my costs <laughs> but so it's it's pretty low. Like I've never made more than ten thousand dollars in a year on YouTube ads. And okay. same thing, kind of same thing for affiliates. But because of the jobs that I've worked in, like I haven't done a whole lot of like software <laughs> affiliate promo. And that's like 
I've done like other like smaller affiliates, mostly like for notebooks and like smaller things like Amazon affiliate kind of stuff. And those are all like 10% is good for that. But you like for software, like that's really bad. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Like 10%. I'm not promoting your thing for 10%. What are you talking about? But like for hard goods, that's more, that's a lot more common. And so like uh, affiliate revenue, especially from a software side is something that I'm focusing more on, but even still like between affiliates and um, YouTube ads, that's definitely, definitely less than 20 K and probably more around like 12 to 15 K. And so that's one thing. And then I do some brand deals and sponsorships but uh admittedly not going super hard after those right now because again it's something that it takes up a lot like it takes up a lot of time to like do a good brand partnership and that there are lots of good reasons behind that but i'm having to do all of that and it slows down my creative process so much and it's such like like emotionally, it's not something that I like getting into because it's like this back and forth. And it's like, well, you know, I'd be like, well, you know, we kind of scoped out this kind of budget. It's like, well, it'd be nice to have known that before we got into this conversation. And of <laughs> course, and I have never made more than 10,000, maybe around 10,000 uh, a year on any kind of brand sponsorship deal. So between those three things, it's anywhere from 20 to 30K in a year depending on how like how well everything went and but coaching consulting courses like the th- those three C's those are yep. the things that bring in like 60 to 70 percent of the revenue and that's what I spend my time on yeah that makes sense so I want to go back to a conversation that you and I had I, I guess if we catch people up on the arc because we don't have a ton of time left but there's something that happens in, in startups where first you like try to figure out what you're doing. You know, right. we're all trying to figure it out at the same time. And then the next round of startups is like, can we just hire the people who have already figured that out and have done it before? Right. And so through a transition like that, right. Podia comes in and is like, Matt, you've mm-hmm. done this whole thing before. We're trying to do it. Can like, right. And instead of all of us figuring it out, can we just bring you in? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And so you, know, you made the jump over to Podia. Um, the thing that I want to talk about is a couple of years after that, middle of the pandemic, and a conversation that you and I had as you're thinking about making this leap to a full-time creator. Because I think so many people are like, okay, I did the side hustle thing. This is taking off. And now I'm trying to decide when is it time to quit the day job and, and go all in. Right. So maybe take us through that and and some of your thoughts on it. Yeah, it was something that I had been thinking about for a while. And certainly I've talked I've talked about this on a couple of YouTube videos, but it had been in the back of my head for years. I mean, even pre mm-hmm. pre convert kit that what would it be like to do this, to do this full time? And so I had started to, uh, again, to bring up Jeff Goins again, like he was kind of coaching me, mentoring me through some of this process. And he was like, you just need to get better and more consistent at launching products. You're going to launch a product or some kind of service or something. You're going to launch something for sale every month in 2020. <laughs> And that was, and lo and behold, when you tell people like, you know, I'm not saying it's going to like go awesome every month again, like we've talked about some of the ups and downs, but it's amazing what will happen to your sales when you just offer more things for sale. (laughs) Yeah. And 
So I had been doing that more and more and it was taking it was taking off. And what I had really wanted to do just from a mindset perspective, because I had a lot of like um, a kind of emotional like money mindset baggage that I was kind of wading through uh, <laughs> at, the, at the time. And I was like, I need to be matching what my Podia salary is, not just for one month, but like month over month. I need to do that for three months. And then I had done that for three months. I was like, oh, well, this is nice. Like, should I do this now? And, um, you know, we got on we got on a call and I was talking with you through some of this. And you're like, well, you know, it certainly sounds like you're from what I remember is that you you were saying, like, well, it certainly sounds like you could. But if you like have more of these systems in place, I just hired an assistant at the time to like do some of the like minutiae work, take that off my plate. He's like, why not just keep basically doubling your income <laughs> every month for the foreseeable future? And I was like, yeah, that does sound really great, too. <laughs> and this was the summer I did want to see like what I could do like with the assistant and how kind of like, again, I had like some fears some hesitation around like, OK, well, you kind of build your confidence. You also can kind of like draw out your anxiety for too long as well because you're like oh great mm-hmm. i did it for i had my first 10k month i had back-to-back 10k months i had three straight 10k months but can i what about the next three months <laughs> but and so i did want to keep seeing i wanted to see how much i could optimize and automate you know, like without me having to do it um and i can like go into what the rest of that uh what the rest of that year was like but yeah what what do you remember from that conversation and you know some of the thoughts well, first, I love the the conversation around money and, you know, as a creator, when to go full time. And so, you know, I was thrilled that you like texted me and said, hey, would you be up for talking through this? Yeah. Uh, the way that I thought about it, I'm trying to think what it was. It, w- it was relatively early in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. June, maybe? Yeah. And there were, it was. And so we were taught, we did, and I didn't mention that, but we talked a lot about like, hey, what is the state of the world going to be like? What's the state of like, yep. you know? the financial system is going to be like in like three to six months. Let's just, let's just be cool here. <laughs> yeah. Something that I had done in my career and, and you have to remember whatever advice someone gives, it's going to be based in their own story. Yep. And so it's really important. Like a question, if someone's giving you advice, I, a question that you can always ask is what in your life has shaped this advice? Because they might be like, oh, you should do this. Creators, they should always do X, Y, and Z. And you're like, oh, okay. Like that's from the Bible of what creators should do. You know, like, <laughs> like you're like, okay. <laughs> really, it's from their own life experience. And so you're getting the advice without the context. Right. And so you can just ask like, oh, what's the context? What's the, the story or example that made you, that shaped this perspective for you? And for me, the, the advice that I was giving you was spend more time overlapping the creator income with the um, full-time job income, mm-hmm. even just a few more months, because when I uh, was really first making money as a creator, I was selling iPhone apps, and I was getting to the point where I was making three thousand dollars, like two, three, four thousand dollars a month, and I had a full-time job, and all of that creator income went into a separate bank account, right? And th- so that I could quit the job, and when I quit, I had twenty thousand dollars saved up which I was really proud of because I had, you know, it was on a $60,000 a year salary. Um, and it was all from this other income that I didn't touch at all. And it was basically from months of, of overlapping. Right. And so that's where my advice was coming from was basically like, I don't know how many more months it is, but like 
we don't know what's going to happen in the world right now. We don't know if like the market's going to recover or dip. I mean, market ended up going up like crazy, but, um, you know, overlap for more months and just save up at least a few more months of, of salary. What did you end up doing? That's what I ended up doing. Um, now there were some other, there were some other circumstances on that. Like one of the things was like, we had a couple of huge projects at Podia and I was like, I'm going to see these through. These are like things that I own. But really like, I remember telling Jeff that I was like, well, if I could quit by the end of 2021, that would be so cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I bet you could do it before that. And I was like, I don't know but <laughs> yeah. before that. And I mentioned this earlier, but it got to a point where there were so many things that I wanted to do like as a creator, like I wanted to start a podcast. I wanted to try that out. I wanted to write more on my newsletter. I wanted to like build better courses and try like a cohort course and do more coaching. And especially when you're talking about like time intensive things, like trying to like smash all of those in created a lot of like internal conflict for me and a lot of scheduling conflict and like me working every weekend for like a year because like that was just when I had time to do it. And it really came down to like, okay, I had hit this like financial benchmark that I had for myself. It was time to stop making excuse about like, oh, you know, can I still really do it? It was like, no, you've, you've actually done it. And also saying like, okay, well, the, the tipping point for me was like making a list of like, here are all the things that I want to do or that I want to try. And realizing that if I was only going to spend 10-ish hours a week working on this, I would never get to all these things that I want to do. Right. Even doing this at like, you know, 40-ish hours a week like I've done now for this entire year, there are still things I'm like, oh, I <laughs> I still really want to get this thing done. But now I have like, I have a clear process. Like I have a timeline. I have a knowledge of like, okay, if that is a true priority, I can make it happen versus like, I don't know if I'll ever get around to this. And that was a right. big tipping point for me. It was just like, there are so many ideas and there's so many things that I'm excited about. I need to like go all in and make the time to see them through. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think having the ability to to have the income built up, to have the savings mm-hmm. built up, to to make that leap. Yep, that's really good. Um, we should probably leave it there since we, you know, uh, we've been talking for over an hour and we could go on for a long time. I think. Um, yeah, lots of stories. <laughs> all all the stories. Yeah, we'll have to have to do a round two and and dive in because there's so much on growing startups and like we haven't even gotten into the newsletter side of things and yeah there, but it's all full stack creators so I like that that's right. Um, where should people go to follow your YouTube channel, follow you know you on social and subscribe to your newsletter and all the other things? Yeah, definitely. So there are a few places for me. If you just go to mattragland.com/daily is where you can find like the most up-to-date or just mattraglin.com. My YouTube channel is just search for Matt Raglin on YouTube or youtube.com slash Matt Raglin. I'm most active on Twitter in terms of social, but you can find me on the socials at Matt Ragland. Isn't it nice to have one name that you can just get everywhere? So like, nice. I've been able to do the same thing. And you're like, oh, thank God. Yeah, it's so, it's so <laughs> good. And then from a newsletter perspective, I do write my own email newsletter, but one thing, and we'll probably talk about this more at you know at another time, but I'm also like co-launching a paid newsletter with my friend Jeff Goins. It's called Hey Creator. So it's a mixtape for the creative class that we're going to be launching in the coming weeks. 
And if you just go to heycreator.com, uh, by the time this releases, it'll all be like live and ready to go and be really excited to share it with everybody. Nice. And that'll be a paid newsletter on ConvertKit and ConvertKit Commerce. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I'm excited for that. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Matt, it was so fun to catch up and yeah. uh, thanks for hanging out and we'll chat soon. Yeah, Nathan, my pleasure. Thanks so much. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Thank you.